The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Support for this show comes from Inner Engineering, a program to empower every human being with the tools for well-being from the distilled essence of yogic sciences. Visit www.innerengineering.com to learn more. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Gabrielle Bernstein. Oprah Winfrey named her a new thought leader, and she has appeared regularly on the Dr. Oz Show. She's been a guest on Kathy Lee and Hoda, the Today Show, Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, the Queen Latifah Show, Anderson Live, Access Hollywood, and the list just goes on and on. She's also teamed up with Deepak Chopra to co-host the Guinness Book of World Records' largest group meditation. So Gabriel is in... Uh, is a New York Times bestselling author, and according to Forbes magazine, one of the 20 best branded women. I don't like the way that sounds, but I guess it's a good thing. <laughs> you can read an excerpt from her newest book, The Universe Has Your Back, on the Spirituality and Health website, spiritualityhealth.com. Gabrielle Bernstein, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you for having me, Rabbi. It's wonderful to be with you. It's our pleasure. So, I want to start, I want to go into your book, but before I do, I'm just taking a guess. I don't know if Bernstein is your, if Bernstein tells us that you're Jewish, but I'm curious. I am part of the tribe, Rabbi. Yes, I am. Part of the tribe. (laughs) But somehow you've moved on into a different approach or you still consider yourself actively Jewish or what? Um, You know, I, I don't actually consider myself actively Jewish, though my Jewish roots are the reason that I do what I do today. I, I oh, really so want to share. I want to share this story with you. I think yeah, you're going to appreciate me. this. So when I was um, in high school, I went to a Jewish sleepaway camp, Eisner camp, and I was madly in love with the traditions and the music and the Friday night Shabbat services. And it was just, it meant it was everything for me. And then I went on to become the president of the regional youth group, my nifty regional youth group in Westchester County. And I would lead these weekends of young 14, 15 year old Jewish youth in these spiritual weekends, uh, you know, at temples all throughout Westchester County. And in these experiences of being the leader and, 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 and in the community and creating community around spirituality, I was the most lit up. Mm. And I was living my life purpose at 14 years old. And yeah, so, wow. Yeah. So I, I, I look back very fondly on what Judaism means to me beyond religion. I mean, I I love the Jewish religion, but it means so much more to me beyond religion. It means it it, it really was the, uh, entry point for me to, to, to speak on behalf of 
of, of, of spiritual principles and be a guide for people to have a, a spiritual experience. Okay, nice story. This is not a Jewish show. We won't bring it up again. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, but, there, uh, I, my, my name is Gabby Bernstein. We can talk about Judaism as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I'd rather, I'd rather jump into what you're actually teaching and what you're writing about in your new book, The Universe Has Your Back. You mm -hmm. subtitled the book, Transform Fear to Faith. And I'm curious about that. Um, the book opens with your mom teaching you her meditation practice when you were 16. And you, already at that point, even though you were this superstar at 14 in the Jewish teen <laughs> world, you were already experiencing depression. So tell us a little bit about the depression, but also about the practice that your mom taught that helped you get through it. So at the time I was, I was feeling as having what I at the time identified as an existential crisis. Uh, but I was feeling very scared, very, um, uncomfortable, uh, in my later years, I've come to understand that there was, um, trauma that I was dealing with it, that I didn't realize it at the time, um, on, you know, unfelt pain and suffering. And so without a real diagnosis or an understanding of where that pain and trauma and depression was coming from, I, I had nowhere to go. And, my mom was not a very traditional uh, parent at the time. I mean, these days, lots of parents are meditating and, and teaching their children to meditate, but this was not something that was common when I was 16 years old. And my mom had been a yogi meditator all of my life. And so she, she you know, sat me down on my meditation pillow and, and, and taught me her mantra. And I had a very beautiful experience quite early on in my meditation practice where I started to feel connection to God immediately. And I felt a presence of, of peace come over me. And I felt a, a physical you know, sense that there was a presence beyond me with me. And, and that, that connection and that, that mediumship began to become part of, uh, my experience at a very young age. And so, yeah, that was my kind of my first introduction to meditation. You know, at 16 it's a trigger point for lots of people that where they really go through this exist, you know, the first maybe of the series yeah. over their lifetime, but if the a first uh, existential crisis. And yeah. most of us were not lucky enough to have moms who could say, oh, I, I have this meditation practice that I do. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm guessing how, uh, I don't know if your mom's going to want, is your mom living? Yes, she is. Would she mind if you tell us how old she is? Um, I think she's almost turning 60 soon. Yeah. All right. So she's my generation. I'm 60. Oh, no, I'm sorry. She's, yeah, she's already 60. She's probably like in her mid 60s. I don't even okay. know. So she's, <laughs> so she's, she's like me. So you've got to be around 40 or late 30s. I'm, I'm 37. Yep. Mm -hmm. 37. So you were, you were lucky. My, you're my son's age. Same thing that, that he could turn to a parent who was steeped in, in spiritual practice meditation in particular. Now, if it's okay, and it must be because it's in the book, you actually share the mantra. So can you share with the listeners what you did and maybe people could pick yeah. up on that? Yeah, there's there's a few mantras I can share with you today, but this one that she taught me was so hum. And uh, this was, was, I am that so hum, so hum. And uh, another mantra that I share in the book is, uh, in the last five years, I've become a, a teacher of kundalini yoga and meditation. And so I share a lot of kundalini meditations within the book. And one of the mantras that I share is, Satnam and Satnam is truth identified. Truth is my name. And I, I, I like to give this to people. If you're a new meditator, or if you've um, sort of been struggling with meditation, a very simple beginner meditation is to meditate with a mantra. 
And why I love meditating with a mantra is because a lot of people complain that, you know, I can't, I can't get out of that monkey mind or I can't get, I can't, I can't get the chatter to go away. And so when you lean into a mantra and you, and you let yourself repeat the mantra and repeat the mantra and repeat the mantra, it's completely fine if your, if your thoughts get chaotic and you get taken out and you go to a negative space, because really all you have to do is just return to the mantra. And the practice is that you, you leave and, and you, and you detour and then you return to the mantra and you detour and you return to the mantra. And so it's not a bad thing necessarily to have your mind wander during meditation. That often means you're having an active meditation and it means you're just working something out, whatever tension, stress, anxiety is up for you. It's just getting worked out in that meditation. And all you have to do is continue to return to the mantra. So let me just suggest, you said it's both simple and then you refer to it as sort of a beginner practice. Let me, let me just push on that a little bit for anyone who's listening. Yes, it's simple, but it's something you can do for the rest of your life. It, it just deepens. I mean, Nama Japa, repeating these holy names or these holy mantra, uh, deepens throughout your life. So if someone picks up Soham, I am that. And the other one you said was? Satnam, which means truth identified. Yeah. All right. So those are powerful practices. Do you still do them? Yeah, I absolutely do. I, um, I have an interesting, I'd actually be interested to hear what your meditation experience is as the, as the rabbi, as the teacher here tonight too, which is, you know, for me, I find that I always will return to a mantra based meditation for stress reduction because I think that um, it's probably one of the nicest ways to just really cl- just manage your nervous system and reorganize your energy and just come back to a place of peace. But at the same time, I do a lot of different types of spiritual meditations where I, I will do um, a morning cord cutting meditation for a half an hour every morning. Um, and I work with angels and, I, and I, I deeply, deeply believe in angels and entities that support us. And I will welcome those presents into my room and, and just cut the cords and clean, clean up the stuff, right? So the energy cords and the attachments between other people and, and, just, and just allow that kind of clearing to come through and come through and come through. And so uh, there's many, and then I'm also a teacher of Kundalini meditation, which is a lot of breath work and mantra and chanting, a lot of chanting. So that's probably back to my old school Eisner camp you know, song session days where we'd be <laughs> chanting some kind of uh, Hebrew song. Um, but I really just love the chanting. So I have many meditation practices. I use many of them interchangeably, but the one that I return to frequently is the mantra-based meditation. Yeah, me too. I mean, that that mantra work, I, and I do some in Hebrew and some in Sanskrit, is the core of my meditation practice. So oh, cool. I'm, I am absolutely with you on that. So Today, you write in the book that, and you just said it a moment ago, that your mantra returns you again and again to the, to the universe, to the, the self with a capital S, to the divine, to God. And then you write in the book, and I'm just going to quote you, today I have an awesome relationship to the universe, which in turn never lets me down. And that's really, I mean, the book is entitled, The Universe Has Your Back. It's another way yeah. of saying the same thing. Yeah. So how are we to understand this notion that the universe could let us down and and through certain practices, it never lets us down? How does how well, do we think connect the universe with let us down? I think most folks, particularly those who do not have a spiritual path, do, do believe that the universe has let them down. Um, God, universe, they, they feel they feel let down by that. And, 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 and I hear it a lot. You know, I don't think the universe actually does have my back. I hear people say that a lot. 
Okay. And so the reason that I wrote this book is because it's a guide to just continuing to lean into your faith, strengthen your faith and deepen your belief system. And in my spiritual experience and throughout my life, what I've come to understand is that the more I lean in, the more I feel held and the more I let go, the more I can surrender more. Right. So the, and the, and the more I know, and so this is, this is a book on strengthening faith because in that experience of, of, of surrendering and surrendering some more to spiritual practices, principles, prayers, meditations, clearing the blocks, that presence of love within us, that is when we can start to live in the know. We can start to learn to rely on a power greater than ourselves rather than rely on our own strength. And did that you, is a practice. Did you mean to say live in the know or live in the now? I actually said to get into the no, to know. The no, yeah. Oh, very yeah, good. no, yeah. the universe has your back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what really interests me here, especially with Soham practice. I mean, mantra in general, but you know, Soham means I am that. I am the universe. I am the divine. I am God. When you say these things, well, no, it's not just saying them. When you really do experience the reality that the mantra is pointing toward, when you really get even just for a second, a glimpse of I am that, I mean you're you're with um, Jesus when he says, you know, I and the Father are one, or the Sufi Al-Mansur, um, uh, Al who says, Al-Haq, I am truth. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Or the Jewish mystic Abraham Abulafi, who says, God is me and I am God. There's, that, that's how I would understand God, uh, the universe has my back, in that I am an expression of the universe, the way yes, it is yes, an expression yes. of the ocean. Yes. And that yes. is hard for people to get. You say in the book that we have to understand how we got disconnected from this in the first place. What's your sense of that? How did people lose what I think is an innate sense of who they really are? We begin to detour into fear at a very young age and we start to believe in the stories of the world. We're traumatized as children. We have even seemingly insignificant moments in our life can be the turning point where we separate from God. And the rest of our life is either continuous buildup of that separation or many of us, anyone that's listening to this show has been lucky enough to choose to remember to choose to go on a journey of unlearning that fear and remembering the love that is within us. And do you think the, I'm, I'm sorry, do you think the fear is natural? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, not at the moment, but you know, I'm, I'm with my eight-month-old grandson a lot. Congratulations. Thank you. And if a dog barks, he freaks out, right? So yes. there's lots, he's very little, he's very powerless. Uh, I don't know if he knows that, but you know, he's easily spooked. And I'm wondering if this fear isn't, sort of natural. We have to go through that and come out the other side, but most of us don't come out the other side because we don't have the tools for that. Yeah. No, I think that, that, that fear is part of our existence here. And it's not about, this work is not about abolishing fear. It's about getting to a place where we have such a strong faith in love that we don't believe in the fear. And, and it doesn't mean that we 
wouldn't be cautious or we wouldn't take our election very seriously because some things about this election are very scary, right? And there's, you know, it's not, it's not that we're, that we're apathetic to the world. What, what, what really I'm talking about is that our belief systems are not rooted and grounded in fear-based thoughts. And fear-based thoughts come from separation, attack, judgment. Most of the problems in our world are based on fear, are based on that separation, that attack, that that judgment, and the disconnect from God. That is the root cause of all of our problems. And so it's these practices, being on a spiritual path, however you may be finding it, whether it be in your synagogue or whether it be in your yoga studio or whether it be through a metaphysical book like The Universe Has Your Back, you you have an opportunity to get grounded back into that faith that I really loved hearing you talk about your faith because there's a there's a lesson in the book that where you can create a faith statement and you almost kind of described yours, whether you realize it or not. Um, and I describe mine. And in the book, I describe it as an as the universe is an ever-present energy of love that is within me and and around me, supporting me and guiding me, and I know that connection, and that has taken that is, has been my commitment to, to daily devote my life to deepening that connection. And in that devotion, I have I have been given a lot of freedom and a lot of a lot of certainty. And that's my prayer for my readers. So that's very deep. I mean, I, I mean, I, I respect what you're saying. I honor what you're saying. I hope the the listeners get a sense of what of what you're saying when you say this. And yet in the book sometimes you seem to just well here let me let me read a you're, you're talking about being stuck in traffic and you have this prayer universe thank you uh helping me find joy in this situation being stuck in traffic. Yeah. And then you say that you know you listen to an audiobook or you call a friend um and I'm just wondering if if that sort of I don't know Cheapens isn't the word I'm looking for, but you're talking about things that are so deep. And now you're talking about the universe has my back because it reminds me to listen to an audio book. Well, well, listen, Rabbi, if I were to just stand there and tell people, this is my faith statement, right? And, you know, only talk from that, that place, my reader wouldn't be able to meet me. I have to re- meet my reader where they are. And to be very honest with you, God is in all of that. God is in that experience of calling that friend when you're in that traffic. God is in that experience when you're listening to that audiobook because what I teach in this book is that the experience of joy is how we connect to God. And so there's nothing insignificant about those minor small adjustments that we can make in our life to connect us to God. In fact, I believe that it's those small shifts that are the miraculous moments when we feel that connection. Okay, nice nice comeback for that. I mean, I I also agree that to me, the entire universe is God. Everything that's happening, positive and negative, is a manifesting of the divine. And I and I would agree that there's nothing small. And I guess was curious. I mean, you you handled that very nicely. Thank you. I'm <laughs> glad that we're on the same page with that. So I want to ask you because we're, we're just got a couple minutes left. Um, you know, you're talking about living in scary times and fear, and I'm wondering who is your audience. I'm thinking. Um, you know, I'm trying to see if if people in Aleppo, I I believe the people in Aleppo could benefit from mantra mm. and this kind of work. And, and in fact, if everyone were doing this, you wouldn't have situations like exactly uh, the disasters in in Syria and in the Middle East or in in Chicago or in you know what what's going on around the country with Black mm. Lives Matter. I mean, all of this would be taken mm. care of if people realized they and everyone else is a manifesting of God. It but, would never have happened in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. So who do you, but who is your audience? Is it mostly, I don't know, middle-class people whose suffering is nowhere near the trauma that 
other parts of the world or or other other classes of people are are dealing with? Um, yes, I, I think that 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 the answer is is that my audience is. I mean, I have, I have readers all over the world, but the core audience, I believe, are the people who, in my hope and prayer, are those that have the capacity to clean up the littleness in their own lives so that they can have a greater impact on the world and support those the refugees and and uh, people feeling separate and people feeling racial insecurity and all the different issues that are going on in our world that that those of us who have the that have the have the privilege of having small-minded problems that we can wake up so that we can have a greater service to those who may not ever have the chance to get a book like this in their hands. Mm, nicely, nicely put. So I, I, I'm gonna just ask you one more question because uh, I mentioned it at the beginning of the show, but I wanted to, I think it fits in here. When you worked with Deepak and you had the world's largest meditation event going on, mm-hmm. it seems to me that, and I know this sounds shallow, but I'm going to say it anyway. Hopefully everyone will forgive me. But if we could do that, rather than the kind of violent protests we see in its place. Mm -hmm. I think that would actually, I think it works. I think it actually changes consciousness, Mm -hmm. not only in the practitioners, but maybe those in the vicinity of the practitioners. Is that, is that your sense? Well, that was Deepak's intention in the first place for creating this global meditation, which we've now done twice and will hopefully continue to do to your point um, because he believes deeply in the, in the critical mass and mm. reaching the critical mass and that tipping point of having having people you know thousands hundreds of thousands of people at one time in in tune and having that vibration have a radical benefit on the world and and that's the really you know there have been studies done on this the maharishi effect when you put um, right. even 1% of a population meditating in a, a collective area that the crime rates will go down and so i um, identify as a spiritual activist and my my main response to the traumas of the world is to teach people meditation and is to gather large groups in meditation. And so mark my words, you'll continue to see me for many years become leading large groups in meditation. And, you know, recently last weekend, I was um, leading a group in, in, in a prospect park, 7,000 people in a, in a Ramadasa healing meditation. And in the middle of the meditation, these protesters came out protesting the organization, this yoga organization that was hosting the event. And they had their megaphones and they're yelling and screaming and, and, you know, interrupting 7,000 people chanting Ramadasa, 7,000. I'm standing on the stage and I'm thinking, what do I do now? So I call on my guides and I call on the angels within around me and I, I ask for help. And all I continue to do is I said, chant for the protesters, send them love send them love, send them love, send them love. And the group kept chanting, kept chanting, kept chanting in the midst of this crazy, obnoxious protest. They kept chanting, kept chanting, kept chanting. And within five, six minutes of the chanting, they, they, they were escorted out very elegantly, very gracefully. They're, they're, you know, no one had to be touched or moved or anything. The microphones came down and, and they peacefully walked off. And it was, and, and then we came out of that meditation and the entire group just started roaring and applaud because they could see in the moment the power of their energy. That we didn't wow. have to 
turn off the music and stop the event. And, and, you know, we're living in scary times. I mean, any one of these people could have been violent, right? But they, but, but we chose to lean into love and let that love lead this guidance in the situation. And so, you know, I, I just, I just, my, my intention is just to fearlessly gather as many people in, 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 in the moment of love together at the same collective time as I have been with Deepak and on my own. Well, that is fantastic. And I wish you well with that. And we're going to have to leave it there, sadly. My guest today was Gabrielle Bernstein. She's the author of The Universe Has Your Back, Transform Fear to Faith. You can learn more about Gabrielle's work on her website, gabbybernstein.com. Gabby, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. My pleasure. Thank you. You've got great questions. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. Support for this show comes from Inner Engineering a program to empower every human being with the tools for well-being from the distilled essence of yogic sciences. Visit www.innerengineering.com to learn more. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.